0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Carlos shares his winding road from a non-target school and graduating with a degree in industrial engineering to the finance world. We hear about how he went from grueling operations work and narrowly avoiding several restructurings to eventually obtaining an MBA from Booth and why he ended up in FPA before transitioning to an operational PE role. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, Carlos, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary
1: of your bio. Happy to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So a little bit about me. Um, Texas uh, guy, born and raised uh, down in Houston. I uh, lived in there, lived in Houston until I was about 18. Uh, went to Texas Tech University, got my bachelor's in science in industrial engineering. Um, at Tech, I was the vice president of that chapter of the Institute of Industrial Engineers, and was very fortunate to have gotten to network my way into my first internship with ITT. That essentially, like, kind of just catapulted the next five years of my career. Uh, knocked it out of the park. Uh, I worked my ass off <laughs> uh, during the internship, uh, but got promoted by the director of operations. Uh, sent to ITT's uh, Lean Six Sigma Black Belt program. Got my Black Belt cert. And really over the next five years, just to kind of summarize that period, I've held multiple continuous improvement roles um, and and practiced uh, applying that in different industries. So after ITT, I was in uh, aerospace defense with Bell Helicopter, uh, Bank of America, and then uh, lastly, uh, healthcare, at Conifer Health Solutions, that's a subsidiary tenant, you know, I'd like to talk about my experience in really like three chunks, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, the next, the next piece or component would be like the transition, um, is kind of how I think of it. Uh, and really, you know, I went engineering cause I followed my uncle's footsteps, uh, and, and always looked up to him as a kid, but, uh, you know, began to sort of realize that, uh, implementation, if you will, like the operations space is really only like, half the story um you know you can have an imperfect or a flawed strategy and you can execute it perfectly but at the end of the day it's still a flawed strategy right so i wanted a broader business perspective and i started uh craving that when i was at the bank uh saw deals come through uh bank of america's internet newsletter decided to go for my mba uh when i was at the healthcare company and decided that my time in operations and sort of on the granular process level was probably was probably over uh, learning curve was getting a little, a uh, little flat. So, uh, so yeah, started going to Booth uh, while I was working for Conifer. Um, I did the weekend MBA program. Um, it was about two and a half years of my life that I had no life. Uh, but, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience. It's truly a humbling experience. Um, I was able to make a transition while I was at Conifer that kind of took me into really the rest of my career, Uh, networked my way into strategy, finance, um, and then finally, uh, so that was a second role at Conifer. My last role was client-facing, or as a client director, managing uh, clients along the Northeast Coast. Graduated from Booth, uh, left Conifer, went to American Airlines MBA finance leadership development team. Uh, Stayed there until COVID happened and jumped uh, when COVID happened for obvious reasons, Uh, but that took me into private equity. I got a call from TPG, Texas Pacific Group, um, and I had no idea that really like my experience at TPG would be like twofold. Uh, I would walk away with some really important insights, you know, one I didn't want to remain an fp uh, for the rest of my career. Did found out that I did not have a passion for that, which was a big learning point for me. Yeah, um, but walked away with a lot of useful skill sets. Uh, after I left TPG uh, because of that reason, uh, decided... deciding
0: TPG just a private equity investment associate, or were you doing other stuff like operational stuff? What?
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. It, it's an important discernment. Um, so I was not on the. I was not on the front end of the business, um, what, what people refer to as the front office deal side. Um, it was actually in, there's kind of strategic finance team. I, I know more and more companies are kind of like relabeling their FP&A teams, strategic finance, uh, mixed yeah. the theories about the why behind that. But anyway, uh, that, you know, that, that was essentially like the crux for the decision to move into venture capital, which is where I'm at right now. Um, I mean, it was like, just to put it in kind of plain language. and I mean. Uh, I realized that I would be kind of like infinitely tantalized right because I was in you know maybe the the nosebleeds call it um, still in the company and like in the vicinity of all the exciting deal work happening yeah like there is a firewall about 100 miles long 100 miles wide uh, high and, and you know it's really impossible to kind of move there from back to front office so yeah. Uh, knew that I wanted to get closer to the deal work, and more specifically, closer to innovation, which is like one of my core passions. Um, so left TPG, even though I had an awesome experience, I'll say, with the firm at a macro level. Yeah. Uh, after that, right after that, found a venture capital uh, program uh, that was unlike anything I knew that existed. Essentially, it's like an accelerator and. For those listening who don't know what an accelerator is, this is basically like a boot camp uh, for, and the term is traditionally used for startups. Uh, a startup will go through an accelerator, right? They might get some funding from the accelerator. They'll get some mentorship, some guidance from like, you know, experienced, uh, experienced people and ex-founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of brings them up, right? Like kind of like brings them up to the ropes. And, and that's exactly what this program was, but it was tailored for investors. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Um, I started that in September of last year, 2021. Uh, Finished that uh, as a cohort 14 member at Venture University. And uh, I'm proud to say I'm now with uh, Going VC, which is uh, an awesome, uh, phenomenal uh, program that's very similar. Happy to share more about that.
0: Awesome. So let's start all the way back in undergrad. So industrial engineering, you said you followed your uncle's footsteps or he was an engineer was finance ever on the radar or was operations always like what you knew you wanted to do tell me a little bit about like yeah just like family influence was anybody like hey you should go do fpna or any of this other stuff or like was was mba even on the radar tell me a little bit about that like as you're going into school and kind of you know influences
1: yeah 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 absolutely um did not have any family uh Uh, influence um, along kind of like the finance axis. Um, Yeah, I'm a first-generation college student. Uh, My dad was a cop um, and uh, a musician. Uh, My mom uh, worked her way up um, from a county admin. Uh, uh, She worked for Harris County Precinct 4, which is like a quarter of Houston. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's one of my heroes. She uh, all the way up from an admin to the highest uh, position that you can possibly have without being an elected official. So she, chief of staff reports directly to the commissioner. Um, wow. She's, she's a badass. <laughs> awesome. um, yeah. Yeah. I look to her for inspiration when, uh, when, when the going gets tough, but um, yeah, uh, I will say though, I will kind of caveat that with saying that I did have a finance influence that was really heavy in my first role um so itt where that internship materialized into uh a full time role went to dallas to manage their continuous improvement program mm-hmm. um there was a guy our controller basically at that facility who was just like super sharp and i mean i think the real i think the real kind of influential point or the stickiness if you will there was um i saw that I saw finance through the lens of this individual's application of finance and his role as being sort of a a glue, you know, that kind of connected a lot of, if not all of the other pieces of the business together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've always been, um, I I guess, you know, something I found out about myself is I I really kind of desire like a. A high-level, holistic um, picture of of whatever it is that I'm involved in. I like knowing how it works and why. The why is the why, right from the very top bottom. So um, yeah. So he he really uh, was a heavy influence on me. Did not realize I wanted to go into finance at the time, but uh, you know that definitely played into it.
0: Let's talk about that first like internship. And you said you worked real hard there, and you know it was le- You know, Six Sigma, Black Belt. It's an operations thing, continuous improvement. Is ITT really well known for that? I mean, I don't know the space. Like are they, and so like you're there. What are you doing for two years while you're, you know, you graduate? You get the internship. They give you a full time offer. And then what does that even look like? Is it like okay, we're gonna pay you forty grand, fifty grand? What is it like just for the listeners? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening have no clue what that is. Absolutely, like me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no problem. Uh, yeah. Happy to share that. Um, yeah. So. You know the internship is—it's something I always skip over because it's—you know—when you're when you're in an interview or kind of like a uh, a coffee chat that's like a pre-interview. You know, you want to get to the more relevant, more recent stuff. But mm-hmm. I do think it's really interesting. Um, so the internship took place at uh, a foundry, which is a for those who don't know, it's like a, a metal casting plant. Right, mm-hmm. they just make like metal components. Um, very, very. Very small town, um, like under 500 people. Um, so, uh, for those listening, um, you may not, you may or may not know where Lubbock, Texas, is. Uh, it's up in the Panhandle of Texas, um, and outside of Lubbock is like, if you think about it as like a, a planetary system, right? There's like a little moon outside of Lubbock. And that's Slayton. Uh, and that's exactly where the foundry was. It supplied metal casting uh, components for vertical turbine pumps uh, at a plant that located in Lubbock, and they also had a facility down in Dallas. The company did have a really robust Lean Six Sigma program um, and kind of what that looked like, that 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 transition from internship to full-time role specifically. Uh, the internship contained like a number of just various projects that touched uh, what I would call manufacturing engineering. So like streamlining processes, looking at inefficiencies, sort of leaning that out. All right, so in a way I was kind of doing what I what I was gonna do as a black belt beforehand, but didn't know it. And, and uh, also took ownership of the plant's uh, environmental health and safety uh, program at one point, because we did have a fatality. Uh, we had a guy who, mm-hmm. uh, his lanyard, uh, got caught in, in the, uh, wheel of a forklift and it crushed him. So, uh, we had a fatality at the plant, uh, while I was there, uh, as an intern. And I mean, I look back on this and it scares me a little, but, you know, the plant manager, like, I I guess, like, just, you know, believed that I would, I would take that and run with it, you know, in in the most serious spirit that that something like that deserves. So, I did. Um, we we made a number of improvements, um, and you know, improved in the eyes of OSHA as well uh, since that finding. So, yeah, uh, the director of ops, you know, was in there frequently, especially after the fatality. And uh, I think after we closed out about two hundred and ninety five items on a three hundred item list uh, of safety issues that we were going to correct for. I'm talking put up signs, uh, yeah. floor plate, yeah, everything. <laughs> uh you said uh you know would you like to work for itt full-time i said hell yeah absolutely like this is this is cool you know i it's just into the learning and into all of it and uh and so he he presented you an opportunity 50k a year um which was you know it wasn't a ton of money but like for a college kid who had been Uh, right
0: out of school 2010 not bad you'll take it (laughs) exactly Exactly. yeah you're not unemployed yeah so so tell me a little bit about like like so you know you're was it hard work was it like it sounds like you're doing mostly like uh safety stuff the designing stuff like identifying potential hazards but like uh w- were you like commuting there like oh you do were you living out in that little town or yeah close by?
1: yeah I was commuting uh I was definitely commuting you know it was only about like a like a 20 minute drive outside of town. So okay, not bad. it wasn't too bad. It was very hard work and Steve wanted to make sure uh, it's the plant manager's name. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that I not only had like the smarts for the job, but he wanted to make sure that I was willing to work hard. And when I say that, I mean that very literally, I mean, I mean, uh, Jace, another guy who was very influential. Uh, he was a full-time engineer. They brought him over to the, uh, the uh, to the foundry uh and he and I i'm I'm serious by hand put up a 40 thousand square foot warehouse that we first redesigned in autoCAd plant manager says okay great I love this I approved the design now go build it
0: <laughs> right so I, I like it was it was hard man uh Texas so a lot sun- of like not just not just uh engineering but actual manual labor you guys were like <laughs> actually putting yeah. it together okay um, so what were your hours like for those two uh, two years you say. Um,
1: gosh um, 60
0: 70
1: it varied I mean like I would say 50 on like a low on a low end Week, and then yeah. there were absolutely there were um because I, I tracked my hours um so it's an hour employee at that point uh there were at there were definitely 80 hour weeks for sure I mean we would get to the plant sometimes because we were on the schedule of uh, other individuals who worked there yeah, uh, George, the maintenance guy got there at about 4am usually. So there were there was many a day where uh, we came and, and went under uh, the cover of night and <laughs> darkness. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of the, the picture of like, you know, uh, what was going on at the foundry during the internship. Now, when I got promoted, I got sent to New York for about six uh, weeks, one week at a time. And um, uh, it was spread over uh, six months, and so we would get there. ITT would fly people in from. Had three major divisions. as in the Water Tech division, mm-hmm. huge company. Uh, would fly people in from all over the country. Uh, we were in Seneca Falls, New York, uh, Utica, New York, uh, and we would just you know go through kind of this course in this class, and we would go socialize and network afterwards, and and uh, so you know after that as that was ending um i moved down to the dallas facility which was my role my full-time role that was different that was really different um uh you know it was no longer kind of uh working out in the heat right under (laughs) under the texas sun i mean i I had like proven myself at that point so like you know i had an office job um but but was very very in the weeds and very like a roll up your sleeves type of type of gig still yeah. Continuous improvement, like applying that Lean Six Sigma black belt, uh, CERT meant um, on any on, on sort of a generic typical project. I mean, you go out to the plant floor, understand uh, really kind of like where the deficiencies were from an operational efficiency perspective. So there were some uh, processes and areas in the plant that we had streamlined because there was a black belt prior to me. Um, other processes were very like Wild West, um, you know, and, and you would say like Lean or Six Sigma to somebody. And I mean, you may as well have been speaking an alien language, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there, so there was like a cultural thing that had to happen too and change management. Um, and really that job kind of encompassed just a series of projects that were all geared towards improving operational efficiencies and uh, you know, therefore the bottom line of the company.
0: Yeah. And so you were there for two, almost two and a half years. And tell me a little bit, you know, what started making you think, Hey, it's time to move on. Or, you know, what, what made you think next I'm ready for my next step?
1: Honestly, just hunger for knowledge and experience. I mean, that's like, that is my
0: honest answer. Um, so how did you even start doing that though? Like, who did you go to? What did you, did you start networking? Did you use LinkedIn? Did you talk to friends? What did you do?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think it was more that I started working as I, as I kind of worked more and more of these continuous improvement lean projects, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I'll, I'll be totally transparent. Like this was a, it was a twofold. Um, it was kind of a twofold uh, thing where one was the fact that I just got called by a recruiter and the opportunity just kind of, you know, came in, came in to me um, uh and the other was uh you know both kind of diminishing returns from a learning curve, as well as I quickly started finding out that there was sort of like this misalignment, and this was one of my main you know sort of drivers behind leaving continuous improvement and transitioning my career. Um, part of that was you know management uh saw they saw the low hanging fruit, right like like Talking to the plant manager, um, director of ops, et cetera, and many of these like low hanging fruit opportunities were not, I guess, cookie cutter lean six sigma projects. They were more like uh, we need to invest in this in this uh, tech platform that can streamline uh, you know this engineering capability for like our engineering to order uh, you know products. We were making big. Big water stations, so it's still water tech, but you would just have these really big. Uh, gosh, I just made out of tons of like iron and metal. Uh, yeah. you know, water stations that were like golf course irrigation, potable water, um, fire, etc. Um, and there was just kind of like this misalignment where my boss, um, the direct, the global director of Lean Six Sigma, wanted cookie cutter Lean Six Sigma projects. Yeah, but there really wasn't a hunger or appetite for that at my specific planet. So it just kind of felt like this tug of war thing where I really couldn't create a lot of value in the middle. Yeah, got it. Okay, that's fair. So you were
0: like, so you, this recruiter reaches out, what do they say?
1: Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I, I don't, man, that conversation happened a long time ago. But <laughs>
0: they're like, Hey, we got this amazing opportunity for you. You're going to get paid 60,000 instead of 50 or what do they say? <laughs>
1: I was honestly, pretty much identical. I think it was like 62 is the number. So you yeah. almost hit it on the head. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think what really caught me was like, this is going to be aerospace defense. And you're going to work on helicopters. I'm like, that's
0: it's so amazing. cool, right? That's so cool, yeah. <laughs> That's
1: a lot cooler than water technology. So, yeah. Uh, so I had to, you know. It's just, uh, I mean, it was something that I didn't, I knew nothing about, and uh, uh, something I found out about myself in life is, again, this is part one of the major reasons I'm in venture capital today, and I will stay in VC for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. um, save for caveat a consulting thing I'll talk about later, hopefully, but. Uh, I like to keep learning curve high. I, I do, I, I get bored if I sort of start learning more and more about less and less, if that makes sense.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. So you kind of get there. You're there for only a year before moving on to bank of America, this, uh, helicopter company, how mm-hmm. many, you know, what was the stint there? Uh, you know, was it similar to a tug of war? Were you able to actually do something and it was a natural break or what happened there?
1: No. Uh, interesting that you ask, uh, There was a union strike and sequesters were happening at the time, Uh, Department of Defense budget cuts. Honestly, it felt like the perfect storm um, within that sector uh, and and working within Bell uh, and Textron. Textron was the parent company. So yeah, I mean, I I went in as an industrial engineer was my my official title. And, you know, I had majored in industrial engineering and I kind of like went straight into continuous improvement in a way. You know what I mean? I didn't really kind of get like that true, okay, but what's it like to be a real industrial engineer, you know? Right. And and so that was like part of the impetus for taking the role. But what happened is the sequesters had funding got cut, lots of um, projects and and orders uh, got got cut and um, the union went on strike. Um, uh, I think that they were maybe like renewing their labor contract around that time and because of the financial strain the company was going through, um, there was sort of just some dissonance uh between the two parties. So they just said, Hey, find another job Pretty basically? No, no. So I've I've always been very knock on wood here. I have so- I'm knocking,
0: I'm knocking. Yeah
1: because <laughs> it could happen again uh I've been like really blessed in my career to uh have kind of gotten off the sinking ship before it sinks um twice mm-hmm. now and um no no that's 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 that that is what would have happened i I barely escaped that fate uh within a two week span so what happened is we had a bunch of skilled labor um individuals who were part of the union and when they went on strike you had a huge facility for manufacturing that was basically empty except for uh, what you uh, called the people who kind of like crossed the picket line, right? They agreed to go work for the company, even though kind of the union saying don't do it. Um, But you still had like this real just deficiency of labor. Uh, You had a labor shortage in the plant. And so the industrial engineers um, who were kind of used to working on industrial engineering things were sent to the, to the floor to to actually like route helicopter blades like like by hand um yes yeah, so I've, I've routed helicopter blades for like the b-22 osprey which is very thought uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna say it wasn't a cool experience but like this isn't really what i wanted to do right in a good yeah. Career. so yeah um that just kind of like fortuitously happened uh, and then right around the year mark um still remember her name. A lady named Anita called me from Bank of America. She was a recruiter and said, uh, hey, we're hiring like this continuous process improvement consultant role. Um, I I got really, really interested in that because I've always been into technology. And I just knew like, okay, a bank is going to be much more technically intricate um than like a manufacturing facility I don't know
0: banks are tend to be pretty slow with their tech I don't know <laughs> well because <laughs> they can't fair. they can't change systems that often but yeah so tell me a little bit about like what was your um so the, the recruiter called were you looking at that point at all or it was just like hey I knew that I should I knew that I should start looking um and like my you mentor- hadn't you hadn't I hadn't. I had yeah, not. And so she called you, um, and now she's saying, okay, we can pay you 68 or we can pay you 72. What'd she say? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was right around like, They're Like, hey, I should be jumping more often. I'm going to get a $10,000 raise every time.
1: Right. I know. I know. It, it, it can get too addicting and, and you can do it too much. Believe me. Yeah. But,
0: no. But, well, so, I mean, okay, to be fair, she called you. It was going to be a raise again. Right.
1: Yep. Yep. I think I, I think I went into the bank at, uh, I was earning around 62 K at, uh, at Bell Helicopter. I want to say I joined the bank at about 80,000, maybe a big jump. like roughly. Yeah, it was a big jump. It was a no brainer move for sure. I mean, I went in, uh, I knew I'd enjoy the work because I, I wanted to be in like a non, I wanted invisible processes essentially, right? Like, like things that you can't see coming down a, a man, an assembly line. Um, and that's exactly what I got. I went in, I met with uh, a lady named Christy and her boss, Eric, both just, I, I mean, I would consider if for the right role, going back to work with those people again, just amazing people. Um, and, uh, I just kind of, we just clicked, you know, immediately they offered me the job immediately and I was like, let's go, you know, let's do it. Uh, it was also closer to home, which really helped.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, like, what were you specifically doing for, for them? I, I, I'm on your LinkedIn. I can see that. But, like, in plain in plain English, you're looking at, like, key KPIs and dash building dashboards for different units, business units and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll say, like, there were really two parts to the job. Um, one was, like, the leading continuous improvement projects, you know, which I'd done. Um I did in my last two roles what, what
0: processes were you trying to improve there internally
1: yeah yeah so we were in like the global tech and ops division um within our division within that Bank America is huge <laughs> within yeah. that arm you had like five groups if you will but then one of those groups um was like the was was kind of based out of Dallas and Atlanta and it had four subgroups comprising it Basically, this was check imaging operations, check check operations, mm-hmm. um, which included the imaging side. Um, that's just you know, you you take a uh, picture of a check
0: with your phone. And we, we, oh yeah, no, I use it all the time. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of it. It's a trip
1: to the bank. It's huge. Man, exactly. Oh, I hate I hate going to the bank. I know. <laughs> um, and the other half though was like new to me. It was totally new to me. Um. And I loved it because it taught me a lot about business intelligence, but this part of it was my boss at the time said like, Hey, you know, I, we need dashboards for these four. And I I'm sorry, I called them subgroups. They're actually called lines of business. Now I'm remembering. Yeah. Um, and you had, you know, a department that was like, uh that was doing like corrections uh for deposits right like maybe somebody deposited a check twice or something right they were doing that um we had another group that i cannot remember for life me what they did to be honest we had a clearing and float team that was super super highly intricate and technical um and then we had the check imaging department um and a lot of my work was focused around the the check imaging department and then like the Corrections and Adjustments Department. Um, One, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, just to actually finish that thought. So the other half of that role is in designing um, dashboards and and really metrics as well, like KPIs. I mean, literally designing the KPIs, um, sort of creating them in such a way that they, uh, you know, adequately gave the executives over those four lines uh, a very clear picture of how their business unit was performing um, almost in real time. Yeah. We had daily
0: metrics, weekly metrics. So like number of deposits, which one, how many are wrong or how many doubles, how many, whatever, all that stuff. Yeah.
1: I think you might've just named four actual metrics. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's exactly what it was. Um, yeah. had a, a very bright, a uh, person from the BI team I worked with named Tom uh, at the time, and uh, he just, like, completely opened my mind to... Really-
0: so what were you building? What were you doing these in? Python or um, what were you
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we built them initially in Excel, uh, and this was just kind of like getting everything stood up, right? Yeah. Uh, we had to just kind of come up with, like, our rough draft, um, proof of concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom helped us bring the dashboards to life after uh, the, the CPIX, uh, CPIX Continuous Process improvement Consultants, like, developed the actual metric conceptually. Yeah. Yep. Tom, Tom helped us, like, load those into, I believe SSRS was the tool that we used. Um, mm-hmm. They were web-based uh, dashboards. Got uh, it. Yep. Yeah. Very cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll Almost just, like a Tableau sort of, like, way to visualize data and stuff like that, one of those programs. Okay.
1: That, that's exactly right. I'll just kind of finish that thought with, like, you know, there was still an opportunity to like apply all this Lean Six Sigma learning. And what we ended up doing is we ended up actually applying uh, control charts, uh, which is, uh, I mean, like in very long story short, it was very, um, it was basically like a methodology that was geared towards identifying uh, variation uh, that exists within the process. So to your point, like number of defects, right? Let's say that uh, you average about 50 defects a week maybe you're bringing that average down, but you know, if it goes over a hundred or if it goes, uh, yeah. So you'd have an upper control limit there, upper spec limit, if it goes above a hundred, like let's set off an alarm and we want everybody on this. So it's basically. Something's um, wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So it's just like applying uh, what we have done thus far through like a stats lens.
0: Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. So you're there for a couple of years. Sounds like you're learning, you're helping set up these KPIs, these dashboards learning and, um, what happened with your next jump, you know, now you're going to, And you know, at this point, you still, were you considering business school or thinking about business school at this point yet or not
1: yet? I was, um, I really was because, uh, I guess like two key events, number one, um, that was about the time that I started getting a little bit bored with a continuous improvement thing. Um, I like the dashboard work, uh, but I didn't want to keep building dashboards, yeah. uh, for my for my career. Uh, so I saw you know just kind of like being a curious person saw the the newsletters that BAML would send out over the internet. And I'd never heard of investment banking before. I had no idea what it was, but I saw like these deal updates come through and I'm like, what is this? You know, and you could go through like the company directory and sort of like look at you know where the banking team sat and everything. I'm like, damn, this is really high level work. Like good Lord started just like, you know, searching around on the internet, like what is banking and then, you know, kept reading deal updates. And I got really excited and curious, more
0: curious about that. Um Probably when you found Wall Street Oasis, I'm guessing. <laughs>
1: uh, probably. Yeah. Back, in the, back yeah. then.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, probably. so then you, um okay. So you're kind of interested in this and, and what happened?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I became very interested in it. Um, I I identified enough about the career path to know that I needed an MBA if I was to like ever explore, you know, that type of work. Um, I had no idea where I was going to get the MBA from at that point, but started studying for the GMAT, a lot of late nights there. Um, And then around that same time, I had a coworker uh, who sat next to me and one day he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, like, you know, I know you're bored here. I'm kind of bored here as well. I am going to go back to this healthcare company that I was at earlier in life. Um, There's this really awesome guy named Panaki Gauthier. Uh, You could learn a ton from him, and uh, he's looking for all the help he can get right now. Um, I really think you should just have a conversation with him, right? And I'm like, nah, I'm not really looking to stay in continuous improvement. He's like, just have a conversation. So I did. Uh, I talked with Panaki, and man, like to this day, that guy is one of the coolest people I have ever met in my career. I like legit, how many prospective managers can you go up to and, and just say, Hey, um, you know, I like this conversation. I like you, uh, but I don't want to do for the rest of my career. Uh, what your team is doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and like, but Panaki was so cool about it because he said he made me a deal. Essentially the guy said, okay. Um, I know you want to go in the direction of strategy and finance as you're maybe kind of exploring this MBA path. Mm-hmm. I will help uh, steer you in the direction of those two fields networking-wise within Conifer. I'll help you get plugged in there.
0: Just like, give me a couple years.
1: Just give me some years. <laughs> exactly, exactly what he, what he did. Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, went into his business uh, transformation team, helped him like, stand it up, and did a lot of dashboard work there uh, for him. Uh, standing up KPIs for, for Conifer Health Solutions. And, and like he, I mean, he made good on his promise. Uh, I, I, my second role at Conifer was like, uh, inherited this financial model where was developing financial business cases to uh, give the executive steering committee um, like a financial picture of what the ROI was for their roadmap of
0: different projects they've got uh, slated cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah Which makes sense why you ended up in fpna later but yeah go ahead <laughs> sorry yeah. keep going so so you're doing that for you're there for three and a half years at this place so probably a little longer than you expected
1: yes uh yeah i i didn't i didn't know how long it's going to be a connor you know yes and no um mm-hmm. my parents are really old school again first gen college student uh and I think part of that's just like generational, but, um,
0: they're just like 20 plus years. Right. So they're
1: like, exactly. you're changing
0: again after three years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're like, people aren't going to want to hire you. You need to stay put, you know, in one place, uh, which I, I believe them, you know, and I was like, yeah, you're right. But like, even if that wouldn't have been a thing, um, I mean, there were just so much opportunity at Conifer and looking back, such like an entrepreneurial space, um, and people were just willing to help you pursue like your curiosity in different fields. Um, so,
0: uh, one point- so Can I ask a question for people who don't, I don't know anything about Confer. Is it like you actually are owning hospitals? Is it like a hospital network?
1: That's it. Yeah. Thanks for okay. asking.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a hospital network and you are the operate, you're like the operations on like in kind of the finance or operations team, basically helping with all this stuff. Like, so how many hospitals total, like just to give us a.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of it. Um uh very nearly. So so Conifer Health Solutions is actually owned by Tenet Healthcare. Oh okay. Tenant owns a ton of hospitals across the US. Um I oh boy. Um a lot. Let's just say a lot. A lot, yeah. A hundred, two hundred thousand, whatever it is. I want to say it was probably around, yeah, like two to five hundred hospitals, I yeah. think. Um, because they also acquired Catholic Health Initiatives, another large hospital system. Um, so we, what Conifer did though for like Tenet is um, there's this really big problem in healthcare uh, on the commercial side where um, insurance companies as well as people uh, sometimes don't pay the bills or like kind of push back. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't medically necessary, or or you know didn't have prior authorization. Um, like a $276 million problem, I think, uh, at the time for Conifer and, you know, something around that neighborhood, but we were basically liquidating AR into cash. Um, and that was, yeah, it was kind of like the main function of Conifer. Uh, that's what I did in that second role, uh, the the business case development, but, um, Conifer also had another little branch or division called value-based care, um, Value based care, uh, for those who don't know, is kind of like uh, in a short sentence what that is about is uh, investing in the health of a population. Uh, it can be for like a health plan for a company, or the same for like an insurance uh, covered population. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're basically trying to make them healthier so that the plan and, and the people funding the plan, um, don't pay as much in the long run. It's like a win-win,
0: you know? Yeah. You're doing more preventative care and stuff like that. Just try to make it so they're not as sick down the road. Exactly. exactly. Okay. So tell me, yeah. So you're there for three and a half years. You're, you're your boss kind of makes good on his promise. So he writes your recommendation for, for booth you do okay on the GMAT, you get in, but like, were you always, did you consider going to the full-time program? Why the weekend program?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good question. Um, so first I guess like I never, never in my wildest dreams did I know I was going to be going to Chicago booth and like waking up at 3 30 AM every Saturday for two and a half years to fly to Chicago and back. But, um, I, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I nearly walked out of the GMAT. I got so flustered and just sort of down on myself throughout the math portion. Mm-hmm. Math hasn't always been my strong suit, mm-hmm. but it's something I've been able to develop. And uh, I mean, like, you know, went into the bathroom. Uh, I think after like one of the math sections in the GMAT, and I, I was just like close to tears, man. You know, because I put so much into this, and uh, I, mean, I mean, like, just a lot of late nights yeah did you
0: did you end up taking it a second time
1: i didn't i didn't i finished my first attempt and like i didn't know also that you get your results like right when you walk out and the test proctor uh she was like really good job and i was like you sure you are the right person (laughs) i'm like "Uh, i think you're the wrong person and i don't know uh yeah whatever kind of came together happened that day uh a miracle whatever it was I walked out I was like 92nd percentile which is I don't know just a lot higher than I ever really considered possible for myself and and so
0: like a 700 ish or uh
1: 710 yeah really
0: awesome yeah
1: yeah yeah, really good guess um yeah and and uh that just you know like that opened a lot of doors exactly exactly like that was that was kind of the thing that hit me on the drive home and I'm like wait you know i i was considering myself like maybe not able to get into like smu or like utd and like now holy sh- you know i can i can maybe like do something a lot a lot bigger you know and or i i still think that those programs have a lot of value i mean they they're they're very prestigious and and uh you know just great programs but but yeah uh started looking at the booth and and really uh the diversity um the way kind of the, the Socratic uh debate method of of learning in the classroom, uh just cutting your teeth on like you put a you put a stupid idea out there, you're probably gonna get challenged on it by your, you know, so think through things free speak. Uh that and, and just obviously like the doors that that has opened. Um I, I told my boyfriend at the time, I was like, man, I'm I'm going for this, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, we can stay in Dallas if we have to, but, uh, like, I'm going to do this. And <laughs> so I, I did uh, and, and kind of just started it. And there was – there were a team of uh, – a team? There were a group of Dallasites um, who were who were in the program with me. and they I mean flew
0: with you every morning?
1: Every morning. Every
0: Saturday morning. So tell me, is that normal? Like, are there people coming to the weekend program flying every single Saturday – morning like at three like from California or from or like Dallas from Texas. Is that people do that?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is, is it
0: mostly because of like they don't want to pay for the full-time program. They want to keep their full time jobs. Is that the is that the thought process?
1: Yeah. Um there are like maybe a couple of different reasons people do it. Um yeah uh part of my reasoning was I knew, I mean, I had a dog, I had, you know, a small little family in a way to kind of support. And mm-hmm. I knew that, I mean, at that point it was like six, maybe seven, I think six years into my, into my career. And I mean, you know, you get used to get used to a certain like, you know, quality of living and, and uh, you know, and then there's like, man, I just couldn't even fathom like going back to my family's not rich, you know what I mean. I was gonna have to like take out loans, go live in a dorm or something if if I went full time, and yeah, I just knew it wasn't an option for me. Um, yeah. But it wasn't all that. Part of it too, and this is the other reason a lot of people do it is they just see some merit, some value, and kind of remaining in their current role, as you said, Patrick. Um, that for me was, you know, Conifer opened that door for me to make that transition not just over the door, but like, there were a lot of advocates there who really, really helped me. Um, I had a ex-Bain consultant who was the VP of strategy at the time. Uh, I mean, got, got guidance and, and encouragement from him. Uh, there was a guy named Tom, who was the VP of business development, kind of took me under his wing at a time. So it just like these different um, sponsors in a way of, of the things that I wanted to do in life, uh, in my career. Mm-hmm. Just making Conifer such a uh, valuable opportunity. I, I I didn't want to give that up to go do the education. Oh, yeah. I mean, if
0: you can, you can go to business school and you made it work somehow, you know, probably pretty tired after those two years, but you, you did our two and a half years. So you got through it. During, during school, were you thinking like investment banking? Did you do any of those interviews? And Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in f p n a at at american um what kind of said okay this is this is a good place to be, and were you able to stay in texas
1: yeah, yeah um gosh you were you're you're actually like drawing on some really big insights, I'm just, you got my wheels turning um yeah no. Like for me, that's a really good question that you just asked because um yeah. Going back to Bank of America and kind of that banking inspiration, that, that fire that kind of got kindled, um, that is what I had in my mind that I was going to boot to do at the time. And I did go through uh, banking interviewing. I did. Um, I got really, really close uh, with BAML and the LA office. Um, it's amazing people out there. Uh, by the way, if anybody's looking for a great bank, I highly recommend you check that out. Um, yeah. Uh, give David Hook a shout. He's the MD cool. out there. But uh, yeah, uh, went through. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, I had probably like twelve super day. Actually, not that many. I probably had like seven super days or so. Uh, right with different firms. A lot. That's a lot. It was a lot. Um, I got close with a few of them. Um, there was uh, William Blair uh, in in Chicago. Uh, would you have
0: taken that if you had gotten? A, would you have moved to Chicago from?
1: You probably, I would, have. I would have. I was so into banking, kind of the thought of it at the time, yeah. um, that I would have, yeah, I would have taken. You probably
0: applied to what, like thirty different banks. Got you know whatever, ten to 15 first rounds. Ended up, you know, seven, like you said, seven ish super days. Why don't you think you ended up with a with an with an offer after all that? Because that's a good number of shots on super days. It's not a it's not a sure thing ever, right? And it's a super competitive. But tell me what, what you're like looking back. Was there something where you're like, hey, I should have, you know, was it technical? Was it behavioral? Was it fit? What well, was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really uh, familiarity and demonstrating interest in the space, I think, is kind of what it came down to. Mm-hmm. That that was part of it. Um, now, I will say at BAML, I believe that this was like down to me and another guy who was an ex veteran. Yes. To compete with. Um, I also, uh, this guy who was uh, just one of the interviewers of like six or something, just threw me a. I mean, I was prepared. When I tell you I was prepared for the financial like question, yeah. I mean, yeah. I drilled myself on those things. Yeah. But this guy threw me a curveball that, uh, that like my advocate in the bank, uh, who was a vice president at the time, um, you know, he even agreed. He was like, man, that's, yeah, like that was kind of just, you know, that was super tough. Yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. tough. Uh, but uh, yeah, so kind of like got dinged on the technical question there and, and a
0: little bit about- Do you remember what that technical was? You got to remember it.
1: Oh, oh gosh. I
0: know. Accounting or like a depreciation, a weird depreciation question, a weird like
1: for uh, yeah. asset
0: or, or deferred liability type question. What we-
1: <laughs> Man, yeah.
0: I, I really That's fine if you don't remember. I just I'm sure the listeners are like, oh, I wonder what that one is. I got to be ready for it. <laughs>
1: I wish I could remember. I really do. Um, all right, go ahead.
0: So, so continue. I, I don't want to interrupt. So, yeah. So, tell me what your thoughts were, just in, in general, on the whole process of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that was like the case for BAML, right? Which was like one of the ones I got closest to. Mm-hmm. I felt a very strong interpersonal connection with um, with the MD in that office, and, and I was you know I was really close with like one of the VPs, who was kind of like my sponsor for that. Yeah. Um, and felt like all of the kind of you know, do I like you sort of uh, element that comes into play? Do I want to work long hours with you was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, there was like that technical and maybe this other guy just had, I don't know, uh better bit experience or something. The other, like really, the other bigger reason that I think I'd paint with the broader stroke across um, the other opportunities that didn't materialize
0: mm-hmm.
1: was looking back, um, having. <clears throat> having a sort of a familiarity, kind of like a, uh, yeah, familiarity with, with finance in general and financial markets and just being able to, um, I, I'm going to like use a tennis analogy guys, uh, uh, but I like, like speak the lingo. Yeah. Like being able to get a rally going, you know, that's off script. I mean, nothing that's like a question. That's, 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 you know, part of this hundred, you know, banking interview questions that you memorize, but like, I just having like a genuine uh, question and really being able to kind of go deep and speak. Like the
0: economics, like you're talking about the Fed interest rates and macroeconomics and you're like, you, you understand it, but you're like, you're the layers of depth weren't necessarily there that other people who like studied finance, accounting or economics basically could go to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was it. I mean, I, one of my mentors, um, at both at the time, uh, his name was Shane, um, somebody i still look up to to this day extremely bright individual um super nice guy uh you know he was kind of just helping me with like little chats and check-ins here and there throughout the process and mm-hmm. i mean i just that's really where i noticed it because shane would just like spout off the thing I mean, you know he'd worked in sort of like private financial markets for the majority of his career prior to booth and i knew i didn't have that um I knew I'd gotten some of that, uh, just cutting my teeth at Booth and like the finance courses. But, I mean, there is—I'm going to say this as well. I was extremely humbled by the Booth experience, uh, in sort of uh, uh, in the sense that uh, there was, you know, very often just like it was a it was a high curve to climb to uh keep up with you know some of my classmates i mean they were just extremely bright people at that school oh, yeah. um oh yeah so just yeah grateful to to kind of uh, be shoulder to shoulder with those guys but um the, given the competition uh you know the nature of kind of how sought after those roles are um oh it's
0: really competitive yeah especially for booth because a lot of people go into booth they want those jobs right
1: oh yeah oh yeah yeah banking uh, consulting yeah
0: so tell me a little bit about the FP&A stuff, and you know you were there for at American for a year and a half. Tell me how that kind of came through, and then specifically, what was that role like, and what did you like, what did you not like, and how was it similar or different from previous roles?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, one, yeah, one, one thing to kind of like segue into that. Uh, it was another part of your question. I don't think I answered um, why FP&A instead of banking. It wasn't just because I didn't get a banking job. Mm-hmm into the idea of consulting at the time, I found strategy consulting, uh, probably just as interesting as banking,
0: less. Mm-hmm.
1: but, um, I, I, you know, uh, again, like I like to keep things down to earth and just be very real about like, I'm, I'm a human, right. I became single midway through the program. I'm a dog dad. Uh, I'm not the kind of, per- I, I don't believe in, in, you know, offloading, uh, you know, uh, a, a dog, you know, to, to, uh, parents or, or just, you know, leaving a dog, um, with a sitter for you know, hundred hours a week, just like banking hours. Yeah. So I knew, yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I needed to like re-strategize and go back to the drawing board. I knew I was into finance. Um, I knew I was into strategy. American airlines had a financial strategy, um, MBA program, um, that seemed to kind of, uh satisfy the you know can't work a hundred hours a week, can't be gone five days a week, sort of thing yeah. um but still kind of belonging to kind of those two fields um is really what took me in there and then to uh to answer um your next question, which is like you know about the f p and a stuff uh i guess first I'll say like yeah what what i what I liked about it um a few things I liked about it were the were the sort of caliber of talent of individuals that uh, I worked with. Um, people in finance, uh, smart, generally, you know, really smart individuals, uh, very like quant adept, um, you know, just very detail oriented. Um, I guess I sort of felt maybe a little, yeah, I felt very challenged and kind of going back to that really high learning curve thing, I think that I'm a pretty heavy right-brainer. I think I've always had to work a little bit harder to keep up um, on on the math side, which uh, I'm able to do now, but it took a lot of hard work to get there. And um, I knew that that job, I knew that quant would be an important skill set to have going forward in my career, um, as well as analysis, detail orientation. So I knew that that job would answer those things. I knew that it's working with a lot of really smart people who are going to accomplish really great things in life. Um, also really love the culture as well. Um, so those were like things that I liked about, um, about, uh, I guess finance in general and more FP and a, um, there, you know, there's, there's a certain satisfaction that one gets when you're working with numbers and like there are financial realities that, really hard to argue with right like yeah. the, you know so um now we you know, argue about the strategy we take because of the numbers but like you know the numbers and the numbers so there was like a sort of like finite finite um or just like kind of concreteness about it that i really appreciated um and i think i think in terms of you know what uh i didn't really care for as much or maybe what i didn't feel played onto my strengths um Let's say, you know, being sort of, um, being sort of, uh, I don't, I, I'm I'm struggling for the right word, but being able to plain language, being able to sit in front of a spreadsheet uh, and, and look at the same financial
0: model for, you know, it's hard, it's hard, it's, it's boring uh, yeah, to me, like, it, <laughs> you know, especially if like, you're doing the same model every time. So, okay, so you're there for a year and a half, you know, year and a half or so, COVID hits. Um, clearly not, airlines aren't necessarily a good place to be. Are they telling you find another job or what was that like? Uh, you know, saying, Hey, this is not looking good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, like going back to a comment, um, I made earlier about when I were talking about bell helicopter, of uh, mm-hmm. knock on wood, right. I've always been fortunate in being able in being off, getting off the sinking ship before it goes underwater. Yeah. And that that's, really saved me twice my career now once at uh once at the helicopter but then again at american airlines um what basically happened
0: is we were away all... like from aviation's the, 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 the message <laughs> here no just kidding <laughs> right Airlines <laughs> are a tough business but okay so yeah go ahead
1: yeah it, yeah i mean and and i mean we were all like the nba finance team was in the room with our cfo one day uh we had these like leadership sessions where the NBA team would, would sit and we would uh, we would just kind of hear directly from like a senior executive about experience and, and just, you know, I don't know, just different things, right? It would just be kind of a career talk. Um, and probably about like two hours after the meeting ends, COVID had just hit. We're talking like mid-March. Uh, we all get an email. Everybody who was in the meeting was like, hey, guys, uh, i really sorry to do this, but I may have exposed you all to COVID. So... Um, yeah, that, that kind of, I mean, that was like the, the first of many dominoes that started following at American and you, you just read the writing on the wall of where things are going, you know, um, uh, I got again, a, a very serendipitous call from TPG from a private equity recruiter. It wasn't like I, I was looking during that time. This time I was actively looking, I was interviewing with the likes of LinkedIn, Google, um, other big tech firms, but got a call from uh, TPG. TPG, excuse me. And knowing, like, I always knew that private equity was kind of one of the out outcomes uh, or sort of career paths leading from banking. I didn't know a ton about it at the time, but um, I knew that it was more. Um, it was more of a strategic way of creating really big value in the realm of finance is kind of how I looked at that space. And that really attracted me. Um, I was like, man, alternative investments. Yeah, I'm in like, let's go. Um, So, uh, so went over to TPG and, and I mean,
0: real quick, can I, can I go back to comp before we talk about TPG? So like you were at Conifer working through throughout your time at Booth, you were making at what six figures at that point near the end?
1: uh, I close to Close, close to, to yeah, very, very close to um, I think it was it was it was all it was ninety-eight thousand uh okay. was my final
0: salary at Conifer. And
1: uh, then FPNA
0: at American, I assume, was
1: FPN, um around 110. 110. Okay. Yeah, one ten. They uh, they I think kind of like kept it really uh like blanketed, uh, like everybody kind of got the same thing, you same know. Same
0: thing, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, which which
0: probably yeah, And then TPG, this is middle COVID, TPG, did they make you a strong offer? Was it even better uh, than that, or was it, um, I mean, COVID, or were they like, hey, we know you're going to lose your job? <laughs> did have a, they did have a bargaining chip there, and they used it. Uh,
1: yeah. That said, I was very, like, I was really proud of myself throughout that interview and kind of negotiation experience. Um, my nature um is to be anti-conflict like anti-confrontational um i'm, I'm say yes too easily uh, yeah yeah,
0: yeah you're like let's go let's do it and then you're like wait a second i shouldn't have said yes the first <laughs> offer
1: yeah exactly i mean i will say they they um coming in 90 did they come in super low very low very very low um they wanted to pay me i think like it might've even been like 75 or 80 okay. something. Yeah. I was like, I can't do this. Like yeah. even on a sinking ship, you know, I'll wait for the next ferry to pass. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, or take my chance with the sharks. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, like I actually, I mean, I, I declined multiple times and we went through multiple rounds of negotiations. Until finally at one point, the recruiter, uh, who was not working for TPG,
0: they worked or um one of these third party recruiters it's fine you don't have to remember yeah
1: yeah it was
0: So you just kept saying no and they kept coming back with more and more offering more and more
1: yeah but but parker and Lynch, by the way was the but uh but yeah,
0: yeah it got
1: really it got really dark at one point because the recruiter actually told me i mean she was like okay she's that, like what are you like, doing
0: this is covid everyone's doesn't have a job like just take this job
1: that and she also said like this is the last offer the company's willing to make. Like if you don't take this, we we can't. Like we're we're done basically. And so I I didn't take it. I, I was like, sorry. Like I I'm gonna I you know I, I know what I can offer. Know what I'm bringing to the table. Like I'm gonna be self-respecting enough to like to stick up for myself there. And and uh so, not gonna lie. I got a little tipsy that night. I was pretty depressed about it. <laughs> You're
0: like it's not happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah uh woke up with a bit of a headache to a text message from the recruiter uh saying like we're not done so it was you know they they came back uh anyway and, and like you know they hit um 110 which was like matching what American paid right it's great it was it was good it was awesome yeah because I had averted this risk of like COVID fallout oh, I was when area is more interested in I mean money. I would
0: have even taken the six figures if you can make hundred or 95, I just, cause you know, a little bit of a bump with the global pandemic, I don't think is a bad outcome, especially going from an American Airlines to a TPG to a strong brand on your resume and everything like that. So Absolutely. I think you, I think you did very well for yourself. Um, I think so too. Um,
1: on top of that, they, they have a really great bonus structure is the thing I'll say about TPG, even in the back office. I mean, yeah. they, they take care of their people. Um, as an emerging business leader. I'm a big fan of, um, performance based compensation. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. having skin in the game, um, probably a model I'll kind of pursue in life, but, uh, but you know, it was like, it was like a 20% onus at the end of the year. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was it was very generous, and they did like a three percent just uh, contribution to your to your four hundred one k like five percent match. It was it was good. It was a really good plan package. Um, Mm -hmm. And so so you're still
0: close to home. You're in Dallas.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, kinda like the role is in Fort Worth, uh, which I lived in Dallas at the time, but everything was remote because it was COVID. Right. Okay. So it was like we'll kind of cross that
0: bridge when we get there. You know. Um, And so tell me a little bit about just you know, you're there for a couple of years, you know, then what, what's kind of the venture bug seems to bite you. So tell me a little bit about that and, you know um, yeah. And then we'll wrap it up just talking about a little bit of the programs and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So or your time at TPG. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your time there. Like, what was it like? Was it super different from American telling like that? Cause I think on the, you're more on the operation strategy side of like helping portfolio companies. Is that what, what you're doing? Uh, Sort of, kind of. Um okay.
1: it, 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 it had some similarities to American, but it was different in some ways too. Um, the similarities, you know, you're still extracting insights from financial data and and like conveying those in an executive communication way, right? That lends itself to action. Um, the things that were different about it uh, were. TPG was the wild west compared to American Airlines just because of the firm size, the maturity of the organization, uh, the maturity of their technology uh, versus American Airlines. American, we had like, there was just like these ordained processes and ways of getting data and like all, it was just kind of like a lot of stuff off the shelf, you know? Yeah. Uh, But at TPG, I mean, it was like, I have no idea if it, if it exists or where it's at, but like, good luck, <laughs> you know? Uh, but but it, like, that was cool though, because I really got to like take the reins from an entrepreneurial perspective uh, and really take like
0: a degree of autonomy. Uh, but were, you, were you doing the work for TPG operations specifically? Or were you doing work specifically for their portfolio companies, the companies they owned?
1: Yeah, no, it, it was more of like a, on a corporate finance level. Um, so the way TPG structured... They've got about like five, six different fund families, um, yep. or, or, I don't know what they, I forget divisions basically, um, and you know you've got like your growth equity, you've got like your 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 rise, which is like your impact social socioeconomic impact, so et cetera, et cetera, uh, healthcare fund, and this role was was at the at the what would be the corporate level. It was a private company at the time. They just went public back in February, by the way. Um and this role kind of liaisoned with uh with the fund with the funds, but uh not with the portfolio companies, right? That was really the 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 uh the domain of, of the front office. Yeah.
0: Fund uh, level, like the the associates down there. Exactly. And so you you were in more like the corporate office up at the top, kind of helping trying to pull in data from the different funds up into uh got it
1: exactly and And they're like good luck
0: yeah (laughs) quarterlies from like all the different people like it's like impossible
1: yeah yeah still done in
0: excel a lot of it right yeah it was
1: all excel it was all excel uh Mm -hmm. i mean it was very like like i'll say the challenge of everything kind of being wild west and excel based and like not having that technical infrastructure yeah but the expectations that would have belonged at like an American Airlines were also still there. I mean, because it's private equity, right? Like that yeah. is like nobody stops that machine, man. That machine keeps keeps going, you know. And, yeah. and uh, so it's it's that it, that was you know one of my key takeaways from that um, was I really really learned how to get creative and find a way to make it happen on time, and and that re- required. Uh, building business relationships that I could lean into tap on different resources for um, data information, uh, things on the fly. I mean, I, you live or die by your business relationships there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then just how to hustle and kind of get those things done um, again, from an entrepreneurial perspective. That's very cool. So why leave?
0: you're making good money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and looking back, like, is it something you, you know, you're like, I mean, I guess now you're like, okay, you you have some VC experience, you know, you've gone through some of these programs, you know, now that your eyes are here on the other side of those, what's, what's your thought?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I had a hypothesis that was kind of in the works that I developed um, about my you know, belongingness or not belongingness within mm-hmm. that role. Mm-hmm. And the, like that materialized into a key insight that I got out of that role, which was that uh, you know FP A and sort of that corporate finance space just wasn't my passion. I mean, I, I was taking a lot of really useful, beneficial like skill sets and experiences away from it, and I knew that they would do great things for my career. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I was just bored. was just bored and and i felt like kind of the diminishing returns sort of effect where you know the curve
0: was flatlining again yep
1: exactly like you would take on a new model and like build it out and that was cool and exciting but then like once the thing was built it's like okay now your job to just kind of like uh turn the rent yeah like press the button right and so it was not that simple but um there was obviously like an insight and analysis component that kind of kept things interesting but Um, what I, what I, what I, how I knew that I wasn't passionate about it is because I, it was because a, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel energized by it internally, but it was also because B, um, I saw something in that role that I was really, really, really passionate about that I wanted to go chase after that was the work that was happening on the front lines, like down in, you know, uh,
0: the, uh, down the trenches, right. And this, at the actual startups in the VC, one of the VC funds or whatnot? Um, like within,
1: within TPG, like at, at the private equity um, fund level, like within the deal team, um, because these guys were going out, sourcing deals, finding like these, you know, super innovative companies that- Diamonds In the rough, yeah. Yeah. So needles in the haystack, yep. Exactly, I mean they, 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 these companies were like game changing, right? Like these are the things that like shake markets and transform markets. and um, I mean, and TPG was like, like earlier investors in like box, Uber, I mean um, uh, Airbnb, like some big names, and it was just impossible to not be completely like like just mesmerized by that. and you know I was like, man, that's what I want to do. found myself reading you know. Kind of being captivated by like the investment theses and the kind of the glue that made it all make sense from a strategic macro level. Um, that's the understanding that I wanted to go after, and that's the impact that I wanted to have in my career um, because that stuff was really game changing. Knew I wasn't going to like you know at least get to contribute to a company that was going to change an entire market by working in corporate finance. So,
0: so what made you comfortable enough to kind of leave your position? Or if that's what happened, I guess, what happened for you say, hey, I'm going to go to one of these venture programs and spend, you know, you have to spend money, right? It's like more like a university. So tell me about that decision. And um, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for asking. And um, uh, A, it was really, you know, my, one of my stepdad's uh, favorite sayings is, uh, you know, don't you know all we have is today all right he's like you know i mean you never know i mean you you've only got like right now so like live you know while you're alive um and i mean he's preached that my whole life so uh i mean i i i i'm 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 adopted that myself as as a mantra for life and um and i just wasn't money is just money you know that's another one of his sayings like money money can be replaced money can be remade um but you know, your life is finite. Um, our time on this earth is precious. Uh, and I think that our window of opportunity to positively impact the world in a way that makes the lives of the people who live on this planet better um, enriches enriches those experiences. like like that is so the fulfillment that you would get, right? Even from like the possibility of kind of having a role to play in that, Mm -hmm. it just makes it more than worth it to take a gamble financially um and it and i wouldn't have always done that by the way uh i would never in before my career have like you know uh had the guts to go and like just leave straight up just like leave a company but um yeah i did and i i not look back since um i don't regret it so glad i did uh about the same time like found venture university on linkedin because my first thought after i left the role was like okay knew is going to kind of like do the soul searching period but like oh shit i need to get a job right <laughs> a job. <laughs> so um so yeah venture university came up um again like kind of similar to, like private equity knew a little bit about it but not a lot about it mm-hmm. um, but i did know that this program uh, was kind of a hybrid like VCPE um, investor accelerator type of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's exactly like it was, it could not have been, it was like the stars lined up, you know, it's just like, okay, I left this role because I know that I wanted to have an impact in this way from this strategic angle, like deal side. Um, and here's this program like falling, you know, right into my lap, right? Like on the search results in LinkedIn and and that's, that's exactly what it exists for is to help people like transition into that. So, uh, there was, I mean, honestly, it was inevitable, like that I ended up there.
0: I really believe that. So looking back on like your whole past so far, any words of wisdom you would have given to your younger self or to the young listeners out there before we call the pod? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would. I absolutely, um, and talk to as many people as you can, and as many spaces that you even have an inclination that uh, uh, an itch that you might be interested in that space, go ahead and get on LinkedIn, go ahead and tap into your alumni network, Um, reach out through like any means that you have, Um, reach out to me, I'm happy to, I'm happy to steer you guys. Uh, I guess I believe that it makes such a difference in life. Um, And it could have, I mean life is about the journey. Uh, I'm happy and I'm, I'm content, uh, by, by my journey thus far, but, um, you know, if you want to really just kind of make the most out of your time, uh, you have here kind of tying everything together, right. Um, find out what you don't, uh, what you don't know, like, like realize that you don't know what you don't know and, and go out there and talk to people. Uh, that was probably the one mistake that I made is, is, you know, it, it sounds really kind of, uh, you know, poetic to say like, I followed in my uncle's footsteps, but I mean, the reality was there were probably five other career options or paths that would have been, if not more, probably many more than that would have been much better suited to uh,
0: to me. And or maybe your learning type, maybe your right brain would have been. There is a career out there. Maybe you should have been an artist or a musician.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like
0: my daughter is a very right-brained, and uh, yeah, I'm always thinking like, mm, what would be good for her? You know, where could we yeah. stay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like Patrick, I've asked myself that through, you know, so many, uh, well, the, pain of the the suffering of math, right. When you don't have, when you have a right brain dominant, um, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. I think yeah, yeah. that,
1: that, and then like to piggyback on what you just said, I think, you know, um, this is going to be another poor analogy. So y'all bear with me, but <laughs> uh, if anybody grew up playing the Sims, I did. Remember the Sims? Yeah. I played. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, let's go back for a second. You're creating your character. Your character is picking a career path, right? I think it it probably part of this was me being a first-gen college student and not really just kind of, part of it was that, but part of it was just me not taking the the, the impetus to like, like chase down information and discover, right?
0: That's normal, Um, man. I did the same thing. It's, sorry, continue your thought. I just, I think at, at 20 years old, 20, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know that you should be talking to a wide variety of people. That's why it's such important advice. I agree 100%. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, with that as well. And and um, I think, um, I think that, you know, my, like, just, just incorrect uh, perception um, back when I was an undergrad was that, you know, creatives want to go, uh, you know, be, want to go earn lower salaries and and be musicians or music band directors or artists, right? Struggling artists or like, right. Like that, that's the life of a right brainer. And if you follow your creativity and, you know, there's a small chance you might be really successful and make it big or something. But uh, the thing is, I mean, I, and I can tell you this firsthand as somebody who is currently interviewing with like, you know, Bain, BCG, um, explore those career paths. There is a world of opportunity out there in the business. Um, ecosystem for creatives i mean design like industrial design um that doesn't mean like manufacturing that means like designing websites and products right to just kind of fit the human and the user better oh my gosh there's such an option just is like a whole world out there for right brainers so yeah totally
0: Totally. i need to do more research but i agree Well, listen carlos really appreciate your time longer than usual but i love this story i love the the honesty and the advice so thank you so much for taking the time to share with our listeners Thank you for taking an interest and uh, for interviewing me. I I appreciate it. It's an awesome experience. Thanks, man. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.